0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, For those of you here at Benicia campus, for those in our Vallejo campus, glad to have you with us again today. We are in week two of this series. We're going through this whole summer in 14 weeks through the Gospel of John. And um, the reason we're doing this is that that very often, um, if you've been involved in church for a long, long time, you kind of get to the point where you think, I know, I kind of know this stuff. I kind of, I know all the answers. Um, and what you find out is you really don't. But. To find that out, you really have to kind of take a fresh look at things all along the way. Um, The other reason is, is maybe you're here and you have no church background whatsoever. You have no Bible knowledge whatsoever. The great thing about the Gospel of John is it gives us a real good, clean understanding of who God is. In fact, in the introduction, we looked at this last week, John says, this is one of the reasons why I've written this Gospel. He put it this way, no one has ever seen God, but... The one and only son who is himself God has made him known. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to get to know God, look at Jesus because he is the clearest expression that we have ever had as to who God is, what he is like, and the difference he can make in our lives. So if you're here and you think you know all the answers and you kind of figured this whole stuff out and you, you, know, you know the Bible backwards and forwards, I'm just going to ask you to just kind of wipe the slate clean. And start looking with fresh eyes. Because you're probably going to discover some things about God that you never thought of before. Because Jesus is going to teach us some things about that. And if you're brand new to this whole idea, um, you're starting at square one. Jesus is going to be the best example of, of what it means to live in a relationship with God. And so that's what we're doing. And what, one part of what we're doing with that is we are pu- publishing each week a devotional guide. It's in your bulletin. You want to pull this out. Um, and this is five different um, readings for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on the weekend. We'll give you a couple days off. Um, but it has a reading and then a, a devotional guide for each section that you have read. And we're encouraging you to take these with you every week. Take it home and each day read a portion, read through the, uh, the devotional guide in there. And just kind of keep your heart open to what God might be doing in your life. I would encourage you to also get a blank book of some kind and just journal your way through the Gospel of John. And one of the other things we're doing is because we know it's summer and people are going to be going on vacation and going to be kind of in and out. um, We really encourage you to stay with us online um, through the app. You can um, watch the video or listen to the podcast of our messages. And we are also posting the sermon outlines, they're available online, as well as a devotional guide. So if you miss a weekend, um, you can still download it and its PDF, it'll be available to you on thisis.church, that's our website. So um, really encourage you to stay with us through this whole thing, because it's going to be an ongoing learning experience for all of us. We started last week with Jesus calling his first disciples. And the big idea in all of that was that anybody can be a follower of Jesus. Anybody. Doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your experience, doesn't matter your knowledge or lack of knowledge. Anybody can be a follower of Jesus. Jesus called a people from a wide variety um, to come and follow him. The whole idea was just simply come and see. Come and see. Just follow along. In fact, you don't even have to be a believer to start following Jesus. His disciples weren't total believers until they started spending three years with him. In fact, one of the things you'll find through the Gospel of John is over and over again, Jesus did something or taught something and then they believed in him. That this believing is a process. And so you can start right where you're at And follow along with us together. So um, we're going to be in chapter 2 today. And last week we looked at how Jesus called his followers. So now we're kind of thinking, okay, he said, follow me. And they went and followed him. Where's he going to lead them? Now, remember, two of his followers had been disciples of John the Baptist. So maybe they've got in mind, okay, we're back out into the wilderness. You know, he's going to teach us out in the wilderness. uh, Because that's what John the Baptist did. Um, some of them are probably thinking, okay, we're going to go to synagogue because that's where the rabbis go to do their teaching. But what you find is where Jesus takes them is not what you would expect. And a little bit of a surprise, but I think with a great deal of meaning and purpose because Jesus never did anything by accident. So if you want to follow along, John chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, this is where they went. <laughs> On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jugs, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want to just take that last verse. This was the first of the signs that he did and when he did it, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So the question is, what did they see? What was it that that Jesus did in this occasion? What was it that that happened here that revealed his glory? And secondly, what was it about this whole uh, occasion and this this event that that made his disciples believe in him? Because if you think about it, that's not exactly the place you would start if you wanted to teach people stuff. But that's where he picks to start his ministry. And like I said, Jesus never did anything by accident. I believe that in this one first miracle, he was showing us an awful lot about the character and nature of God and what it means to truly follow him. And I think more than anything else, this event, this miracle, was the first expression of God's grace to those who had become his followers through Jesus. And so today I wanna talk about some of the signs of grace for you and for me in this story. And I think the first big idea is this, That God's grace is available in any situation, any situation. That in every moment, in every aspect of your life, in any event or experience in your life, God's grace is there. John makes it a point of telling us where this happened and how it happened. He says, what Jesus did here in Cana in Galilee was the first of his signs. Now that word signs is very, very important. It is the word that John uses in his gospel for the miracles of Jesus. He doesn't call them miracles. He doesn't call them wondrous works. He calls them signs. And it's a very specific word that he's using because when you have a sign, the sign is always pointing to something else. And so when Jesus did his miracles, he did them with a purpose to point to something greater, something deeper, something that you really need to learn. He didn't just perform a magic trick. He was saying, this is showing you something about the Father. This is showing you something about a relationship with me. And so that word sign becomes very, very important. One of the things is that he wants us to understand that every human experience, every human experience is an occasion for God's grace to break through. That was a sign. It happened at a wedding. Now, Weddings are always to this day they are joyful celebrations. They are a party. And and, and in fact my, my daughter is a wedding and event planner. And she has done some very, very high-end weddings, like hundred thousand and above dollars for this wedding, okay? Just incredibly lavish things. And, and that seems like an awful lot of money, but that actually would be pretty comparable in Jesus' day because a wedding in Jesus' day with a pretty much humdrum kind of life, these were big celebrations and everybody was invited. Pretty much the whole village showed up. And any extended family that lived in the next village over, they would be there too. So this was a really, really big, big deal. And it's a party, and Jesus is right there in the middle of it. And I think that tells us something about God's grace. That following Jesus is not misery. (laughs) Following Jesus is meant to be a party, it, it's to be joyous. It's to be a celebration. Now that doesn't mean you don't go through difficult times. But I think sometimes, sometimes so many Christians approach their faith and their following of Jesus as just being this heavy burden. this just miserable. And I'm just trying to make it through this life. And it's not meant to be this. We did a whole series just last month about what makes you happy. <laughs> and that's what Jesus came to do. Not in a, in a superficial way, but in a deep joyful happiness because Jesus is right there and I think one of the big lessons in this is that Jesus chooses a party to be the first example of his grace because life with Jesus is meant to be a party it is meant to be the jas- uh, uh, a celebration the only problem is something's gone wrong at the wedding and so his mother comes to him and says to him they have no more wine now that too is a big deal, because it would not be it would not be strange. In fact, it was pretty common that a wedding feast, the the, um, the reception after the, the actual ceremony, would last a week long. I mean, that that was that was normal. It was just kind of they had the ceremony, they all went to, uh, out uh, to the groom's house typically, and then it would be a week long open house where everybody would just come, and it was an all week long celebration. So to be on the first day and to be running out of wine, that's kind of a problem. Because, you know, that's going to be like the end of the party. And everybody was planning on this and everybody was looking forward to it. This would be a, a social disaster. This would be a huge embarrassment and shame. Um, it would just be humiliating for, for the whole family that they ran out of wine. Now, I have officiated well over 100 probably well over a hundred weddings in my lifetime in my ministry. I've been ordained for almost 40 years now. And I, and I've done, you know, like I said, over a hundred weddings. I've lost count of how many weddings I've officiated at. And I will tell you at just about every wedding that I've, I have officiated at every wedding that I've attended, probably something has gone wrong. Yeah, that's just what happens at weddings You have it all neatly planned You know, everything's set But something goes wrong Sometimes it's things way beyond your control I did a wedding um, a couple years ago now It was actually out on, uh, in Emeryville Out on the point there, right on the bay Beautiful park, beautiful background Golden Gate Bridge in the background uh, And it, was gonna, it just was going to be a wonderful day All this preparation, everything had gone into this wedding Except on that day, a storm started rolling in and I'm sitting there and, and you know, I, I, I could see coming through the Golden Gate Bridge, dark clouds, okay? Now, these, this couple, they knew their family, that everybody comes late. So they had actually put on the invitation a half hour time before they were actually planning to do the wedding. Because uh, they thought, well, at least everybody will get there because they all run a half hour late anyway. Well, the problem was the storm started approaching more and more and the wind started building up. And, uh, and I went to the bride and I said, I know you weren't planning on starting on time, but if we don't start now, we're gonna be in big, big trouble. So everybody got out there, we did the whole, the shortest wedding ceremony I've ever done in my life. <laughs> do you, I do, do you, I do, okay, we're done. Um, not, not quite that bad. But by the time the ceremony was ever over, everybody was running for cover and totally drenched. Yeah, it's a wedding day they will never forget. There's another one. This was this was probably the, the worst one. Or the best if you like telling stories. <laughs> the bride actually got sick on her wedding day. Yeah. And so we did we're doing the ceremony. And um, at this ceremony we we did a prayer at the end, and we had like a little kneeler down there, so they would kneel down and uh, you know and then I would do a prayer blessing over it. And um and and, and right at that moment she just got sick to her stomach, deathly ill, and yeah, right there, in front of God and everybody, and, uh, and, um, and, and it was funny, no one in the audience knew, they all thought she was just really moved by this prayer, <laughs> and, and, and we got to the end, and, and uh, the, the groom, he kind of took his handkerchief out of the pocket and gave it to her, and she kind of dabbed her mouth, and then they stood up, and I said, now you may kiss the bride. <laughs> And he was such a trooper, he just, he, he manned up. <laughs> the kicker is, on their honeymoon, he came down with the flu that she had had. <laughs> so they shared it together. I'm just happy to say they are still married to this day. Bound together in more ways than one. <laughs> All of those things that I've experienced as a pastor officiating weddings would be just as disastrous if not this would be more disastrous actually than any one of those because it would just be so humiliating to everybody it would be the end of the party everybody was looking forward to this to run out of wine was a huge thing so mary goes to jesus and says they've run out of wine and jesus replies why do you involve me why do you involve me my hour has not yet come now that might seem a little bit harsh um But it really isn't. And and in fact, um, woman, the word he used there, he uses it one other time at the cross. When he's hanging on the cross and he looks at his mom and he points, nods over towards John, the disciple, and he says, woman, here is your son. This is your mother. He handed her off her care to his beloved disciple. See, whatever he's saying here, it's not, because she's not offended by it at all. He's not being rude. He's not being harsh. It's just a common way of addressing. And, And he says, why do you involve me? Now, I don't know how she took that at first, but what I do know is this. She didn't take it as a no. She didn't take it as a no because the first thing that she did was she turned to the servants and she said, just do whatever he tells you. So here's the thing. Then you might be in a situation and you're wondering, does God care? Where is he in the middle of all this? Or, or maybe it's something that you say, you know, this is not that big a deal. Maybe I shouldn't even bother God with this. God's grace says you can come to him with anything, any need, any lack, any embarrassment, any, any disasters, anything in your life, you can bring to him. Any of those things that you hope nobody else ever finds out about, you can bring it to him. And his grace is there for every situation. Every human experience is an opportunity for God's grace to break through. And I think Mary knows that. I don't know what she expected. Maybe she just thought he would go down to 7-Eleven and buy more wine. I don't know. But she knew that he could do something. And that's the way it is with God's grace. He can do something. Whatever you are going through. I believe that she totally believed in his character, his mercy, his compassion, and his grace. And she may not have known what he was going to do, but she knew he was going to do something. And she was just willing to trust him and said to the servants, just do what he tells you. It's going to be okay. So whatever situation you're facing, you can bring it to him. That's his grace. And what you find is that his grace will bring about transformation because that's what his grace does. God's grace always changes things. It brings about transformation because God is in the transformation business. John tells us, um, what this sign was pointing to. Remember I said, he calls this a sign. He says it's pointed to something. What was it pointing to? It says this was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory. Now, anytime in the Bible that you see that word glory, it usually has to do with God making his presence known in a way that reveals his character, so, you might remember in the Old Testament where um, Moses asks God, Show me your glory. And God, in essence, says to him, You can't handle my glory. So, what he does is, is he, he faces him towards this, this um, stone uh, area, and, and kind of there's a little break in it, not a full cave, but just a cleft there. And he, and he puts him in there, and he says, You just look, and I'll pass by behind you, and maybe you can handle that. Did anytime you see the word glory in, in the Bible? It is God revealing himself, making his presence known, and in that, showing us a little bit more of who he is. And what it's saying in this one is, when Jesus is involved, nothing stays the same. When God's grace is involved, something is going to change. There is more going on here than meets the eye. Remember, this is a sign. So what is it a sign of? Well, if you look at the details of the story, and John gives us a great number of details here, Each one of those details, I think, reveal something else. The first is that this first miracle happens at a wedding. Again, if you read through the Bible very, very often, God uses this example of a husband to a wife to describe his relationship with his people both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In fact, if you get to the book of Revelation, when the end of all human uh, time comes to, to an end and, um, and God brings all of his people together, they celebrate the feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb, it's called that it's a celebration, it's a wedding. And, it, and it's the way that God described his relationship with his people. It was a covenant relationship. And I think in one way, what Jesus is doing in this thing at a wedding is he's saying there is a new covenant coming, not like the old covenant. This is a new covenant that I am making with you, my followers. It happens at a wedding, a covenant relationship. He also says, there's one of the details, that the the jars that he used were not clay pots. They were stone jars that were normally used for ceremonial washing, old religious ritual. Now, if you read in Jesus, uh, in the Gospels, Jesus often encounters the Pharisees and has these debates with them. In one of the debates, he says to them, you know, you are so concerned with cleaning the outside of the cup but the inside is still dirty. And I think by using the ceremonial washing jars as a place for this water, he's saying there's a new kind of cleansing coming on. And it's not cleaning up the outside life, it's cleaning up the new life. That's what I'm bringing to you. I'm gonna wash the inside of you, not just the outside. In fact, it goes on, says something else about it, that that the jars were filled to the brim. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. In other words, there's going to be plenty here. That what I am about to do in my life and my ministry is going to provide a refreshing, a renewing, a washing, and there's going to be more than enough. It is up to the brim. That old, dry, religious ritual that you are giving yourself to is going to find a new fulfillment, a fresh fulfillment in me. And one other thing. I don't know if you caught this. At the very, very beginning, this wedding happened on the third day. Anybody notice that? First day, John the Baptist points out Jesus to his followers. Second day, he calls his followers. It's the third day that this wedding takes place. Can anybody think of another third day anywhere in the Bible? I think this is a precursor to what's going to happen about three years from now, on another third day, when Jesus is going to rise from the dead and declare his victory over death, sin, and hell, and bring that new life to every one of us who will follow him. See, there's so much going on. And John gives us all these little details to help us understand something really big is happening this just seems like a fun little party and jesus provide the wine no it's much much deeper than that there's a greater miracle coming what is interesting to me in all this too is that it says this is how jesus revealed his glory and yet the revealing that happens kind of happens in secret nobody really knows how it happened when did the water actually turn into wine when they poured it into the jars when they scooped it out to bring to the master of the banquet? Or did it happen as the master of the banquet tasted it? We don't know. That's one of the details he doesn't put in there. We just know it got transformed. We don't know where it happened or how it happened or when it happened. In fact, most of the wedding party, all of the wedding party, doesn't even know who made it happen. He goes on, he says, the master of the banquet did not realize where it had come from. Only the servants who had drawn the water knew. God, Jesus is revealing his glory, and yet it's hidden at the same time. He's showing God's power at work in his life, and yet it's kind of a secret. And here's the thing. When God does his transforming work in your life, it's not always apparent, And you never really quite know when it happened. In fact, there's very often when you follow Jesus that you'll feel like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna change. This is this thing I never see. I just over and over again, I keep doing the same thing I don't want to do. Is it ever going to change? And you and you might feel like you're never making progress in this whole thing. But God's transforming work isn't always apparent. You don't always see it happening. And you never really know exactly when it happened. You just get to some time in your life and you look back and you realize, I am not the same person I once was. Because God's been doing this transform- transforming work in you and in me. Because that's what happens when you follow him. That's what his grace does. It transforms us. And the last thing is this. In God's grace will always be more than enough and better than you expected. That's the way it is with his grace. Think about this. This miracle is incredibly extravagant. Do the the math here. It says that nearby, there were six stone water jars. Six jars, okay? The kind usually used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, do the math on that. Six times 20, six times 30, let's, let's go with 25. We'll split the difference. Six times 25, 150 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. And and it's not two buck chuck. It's the best stuff. It's the best stuff. And there is more than 150,000 gallons. That's like 36,000 servings of wine. That's going to get you through the week. That's going to keep the party going. And again, I think part of what he is saying is, this is my grace. You will never run out. You will never come to an end. There is more than enough grace for you and for me. And his grace is not just about forgiveness. And sometimes we think of grace only in terms of forgiveness. That God will never stop forgiving it's his nature, it's his love, it's his mercy, it's his grace. There is more than enough, but it's not just about forgiveness. Grace has to do with your life and transformation and change and growth and development. His grace is more than enough, and it's about more than just forgiveness. It's the best thing for you. I love the way Dallas Willard put it, that saints burn up grace like a 747 burns up jet fuel. His grace is always at work. Forgiving, renewing, restoring, transforming, changing, growing. All of that happens by His grace. That God is acting in your behavior, in your thoughts, in your life, and through all of it, He is making you more and more like Christ. That's what His grace does. That when God's grace... What it is doing in your life at any given moment, in any given situation, through any given experience, is always at work making you the best version of you. He doesn't try to shape you into somebody else, doesn't try to make you conform to somebody else's opinions or somebody else's ideas. He has a work in you uniquely. And His grace is more than enough, better than you ever expected. And what he is doing by his grace is shaping you into the very best version of you, the you that he had in mind when he created you, the you that maybe you lost through your sin and your disobedience and your your wanderings. He brings you back to that best version of you. And John sums up the whole thing with these words. This was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him just like us, they didn't understand everything. They still had a long way to go. It was still going to be another three years. But this one example, this one first sign of God's grace was enough for them to say, I'm ready to take the next step. Would you bow your heads with me? And for you at our Vallejo campus, you're Campus host is going to take some time right now and acknowledge whatever's going on in your heart and however you're responding, because what we do here every weekend after the matches is we give people an opportunity to respond, because we believe that what happens, the change happens, is when we respond to what God is doing. And maybe you're here today, and there's a next step for you. So what is it? Maybe you're in a situation or circumstance. And you're not enough for it. You've run out of you. You've come to the end of your rope. You've run out of your own wine. And you need him to work in your life. Maybe, maybe it's a part of your life that needs changing, needs transforming, but it feels like it's never going to change, and you keep trying and it's not happening. And, and maybe it's just simply relying on God's grace and trusting in him and following him in obedience. Or maybe you're at a point where your faith has become dry and lifeless ritual. Just going through the motions. And maybe today you're in need of a fresh, fresh newness and joy to your life with Christ. But if any of those describe you, if you find yourself with lack, or you find yourself in a situation beyond you, or you need something to change, or you just need need a fresh, fresh, breath of God's spirit in your life. I would love to pray for you as we close. And if that describes you in any way, I'm just going to ask you, just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, catch my eye. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. And maybe you're here, and maybe it's a first step of faith. Maybe you've been going to church and going through the motions all your life, but you never really came into a relationship with him, never experienced his grace. It's a very simple process. See, what Jesus came to do was not just to show us and tell us about God. He came to reconnect us with God. That's what he did on the cross. He paid a payment for your sin and for mine so that we could be forgiven and restored by his grace and given this new life. And if that's not been a reality for you and for you today, it's a first step of faith. I want to lead you in a real short prayer of acknowledgement of that need. And if I could pray for you in that regard, Same thing. Would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment? Look up. Catch my eye because I want to acknowledge you. I want you to know. I know you. I see you. We're going to pray with you. All right. Yeah. So let's pray together. God, you know our shortcomings. You know our embarrassments. You know where we have come to the end of us and it's not enough you know, our struggles, our failures, our sin. Lord, you know what we've run dry and we need a refreshing of your spirit in our lives. You know that first step that we need to take. For all of us, the prayer is simply the same. Here's my lack. Here's my failures. Here's my mistakes. I need your forgiveness. I'm lifting up my life to you. And whether it's the first time or or just a renewal of a decision I made long ago. I need you, Lord. Please forgive me. Renew me. Restore me. Let me live this life of joy you have for me. By your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.